This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the second part of the, what I'm calling the unified theory of giving. And um, I'm just calling this, where do you give? I said in my first installment of this series, which was giving is a glorious responsibility, that giving is a chainsaw in the hands of a godly man. It's one of the power tools that God wants his sons to know how to employ with all authority and wisdom. I believe this. Giving is one of the great blessings God bestows upon his sons. According to Hebrews 2.10, God is in the process of bringing many sons to glory. That wonderful process, which concludes with our being entrusted with the Father's business, a la the Psalm 2-based affirmation of Jesus when he was baptized, trains us in awesome kingdom skills like enduring through suffering with joy and hope, putting the bride before ourselves like our hero, John the Baptist, secret obedience and asceticism to that end. All that word means is denying yourself and and choosing less for the sake of obedience and humility, and also managing and deploying and investing and harvesting resources. Now, we tend to hang out on that fourth one around these parts, and indeed, it's where I'm swooping in now. I mention all of the above because I don't want you to just see giving as some kind of downer religious maintenance item that has to be checked off from time to time, like rotating your tires or changing your air filter. Oh, contraire. Giving is more like dad putting a great big 54-ounce baseball bat in your hand than beating a trash can in the dugout to let you know a juicy slow ball is about to come in belt high. I'm sorry, Astros. I just had to make that timely joke. I grew up in Houston, love the Astros, feel a little bit disappointed about the big, you know, scandal. The point is, your father wants you to knock it out of the park. The great cloud of witnesses want you to knock it out of the park. Your wife and your future grandchildren want you to knock it out of the park. And dad is telling you which pitch is coming. And he's whispering, connect, son. That, to me, is what giving is like. So from part one, I hope you've got the right attitude about giving. I hope you're rubbing your hands together going, this is going to be great. He wants to give me something. You'll understand it's part of your discipleship. So where do you give? What do you give to? Well, here's how we explain it. First... Give to your community of faith. I have eight little bullet points under this. First, this might be partially represented by your local 501c3 religious organization where you attend on Sunday mornings and they've got your name in a database. It isn't totally represented by that organization unless the only people you're connected to spiritually are in your same church club and organization. If that's you, I encourage you to get out a little bit more. But I'll leave that for now. Most of us, I say that because most of us live in cities and we should be connected with people outside of our church unless your church truly is a citywide church where everybody's under 
one organization. That's not the case in most places. Number two, my community of faith includes those people who are working with me to do kingdom stuff. For instance, me and some of my friends started a new ministry effort this past year. Those people are part of my community of faith. Three, my community of faith definitely includes all the guys for which I have any kind of pastoral or mentoring role. When they have any financial need, my ears perk up and I assume I'm on the hook to some degree. Number four, my community of faith also includes those men who lead me. This is an important point. I'll break out some bits on it below, so hang on there. Number five, my community of faith also includes people on my street who I'm invested in spiritually but don't go where I go on Sunday mornings. Six, people in my family who don't live in my town are part of my community of faith. Seven, some other good brothers who don't live in my town are part of my community of faith. But, and this is my last point, I can name them all. This is important. They're not a faceless mass. They're people and they're families that wouldn't make my wife go, him? If I said I'd thrown some money at somebody in need. They are our community of faith. They might be near. They might be far. We might have a really deep connection. We might have a, a, a more casual, friendly connection. But they're all part of our community of faith. The people who keep me strong and who we as a family keep strong, encouraging one another, being encouraged, sharing gifts back and forth. We're connected to them by relationship and by faith. Now, this community of faith thing really matters. Here's Acts 2. Now, all who believed were together, and they had things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods, and they divided them among all as anyone had need. This is Acts chapter 4. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of those things that were sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Now, I'm going to just make some observations about these two passages from Acts, which record the activities of the early church. First, they were one heart and one soul. They had full buy-in with each other on the things of God, to me, this assumed that they had talked out so many concepts of the faith that they were in sync. They prayed for the same stuff, they were committed to the same stuff, and they were standing arm in arm spiritually. I encourage you to create a community like that. So in, when I'm recording this is the middle of the coronavirus thing, and there are people who are Christians in my city, thousands and thousands of them, who, though they're believers, they're not on the same page with me about the coronavirus or what God's doing and how we're to be responding. You know why? Because we haven't talked about it together. But there is a group of people in my life who we have talked, I've heard from them, they've heard from me, we've discerned the Lord together, we're comparing Bible passages, we're listening to things. What, what do you think? I heard this sermon. What do you think? When you do that, you get on the same page with people, and that creates a spiritual community. 
do whatever you have to do to create that community, okay? Second observation about these Acts passages, this wasn't a commune. They obviously had their own property. How can you sell a piece of land if you don't personally own anything? But, next point, their view on life was, yes, each of our families has assets to manage, but at the end of the day, we're all pulling together toward this unseen kingdom, and we do sometimes get thrown to the lions. So we'll need to step in and help each other out from time to time, right down to food and rent. And when that happens, it's a given that we'll go to bat for each other. We're in this together, lock, stock, and barrel. So, next point, they were practical in their love for one another. If I might walk through the list of capitals, and we talk about that elsewhere, about the five capitals, they gave each other their spiritual support. They gave each other prayers and prophecy and instruction and correction and encouragement. They gave each other their relationship energy, taking time to listen and empathize with each other. They gave each other their physical help. Josephus, I'll help you with that dung wagon, they might say. They gave each other mental aid. They would help each other solve problems and use specialties for one another. And finally, yes, they would give each other their financial help. So they were practical in their giving and receiving of one another. You might not know this, but for us Christians these days, we not too much very good at living this way with each other. I would submit that this is partially due to the center of our spiritual lives being moved outside of our homes to the local church house, which makes us feel no agency or responsibility, which is one of the things I want to attack in this series. So we fail to act as a community in these really biblically normal ways. We do have agency. We do have responsibility. And when, when someone, say, who lives on my street comes into hard financial times, my first thought shouldn't be, oh, you should find a 501c3 and see if they can give you some charity. We should think to the, ourselves, oh, you're in my community. I will give to you to help up for your lack. Now, let me give a last shout out to these guys, my, my aforementioned spiritual leaders. I said that I'd return to giving toward them. I'd like to do that now. Again, these are the older men who have a pastoral presence in my life, who give me advice and feedback and counsel. Here's a verse just to start you thinking. It's Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So, I'm going to ask you, who are your spiritual leaders, according to this verse? According to this, and many other verses, like 1 Peter 5 or Psalm 23, your spiritual leader is someone who takes responsibility for your soul and watches over it diligently. Now, your soul is your mind and your will and your emotion. It's not just your spirit. It's like how you're doing. That's your soul. How you think and how you feel in these days. So for someone to keep watch over it, they'd have to know you pretty well. They'd be familiar with your foibles and the pitfalls of your personality and your relationship struggles, the places where your mind works against you, etc., etc. I mean, this person knows you. And they might go, hey, 
Bob, you're not in a good emotional place right now. I don't think you're Shabbating. When are you planning to rest? Or, hey, Jim, you were pretty sharp with your wife the last two times I saw you guys together. What's going on there? You get it? They keep watch over your soul. They know how you're doing emotionally. They know how you're doing mentally. They know how your will is, whether you're keeping up with those commitments that you say that God called you to make. You have anybody like that in your life? Anybody who builds into you, lifts you up and encourages you to be more dedicated to Jesus, serves as a guardrail for you and your habits or character, or gives you good biblical input? You know what you should do if anybody serves you that way? Well, I'll tell you, I'll just give you a little peek at the King's Manual. This is Galatians 6, 6. It says, Let him who receives instruction in the Word of God share all good things with his teacher, contributing to his support. I take this to mean financially support the people who lead you spiritually. I've never really talked about this publicly because it's a little bit weird to me to tell the men I'm leading that this is the biblical precedent, but believe me, it is. Maybe the people who keep watch over your soul are employed by a church organization, and that's how they receive their support. Okay, then great. Give money to their employers who give them the time to watch over you. But if your spiritual leader isn't employed by a ministry thing, give money to them anyway. You should be giving hard cash dollars to these people, not just prayers or blessings or a nice hug every once in a while when you see them. Write them a check. So what the Bible says. But that's just one component of the larger point I'm trying to make. I'll say it again. Give to your church community. If you do, it'll push you closer to a biblical read more wonderful and fulfilling and God-glorifying picture of church life. And you might have to get creative, maybe throw a lavish feast and invite everybody with some of that money just to get started. This is the budget that our Passover comes out of, by the way. Call us crazy, but we consider it giving to make a beautiful extended evening for our friends to gather around the ancient story of the lamb slain for us all. So we consider that giving to our spiritual community to bring everyone in and to go, you know, go all out for that um, Passover feast. But that's just one idea of how you can give to your church community. Well, I'll just gin up some more for you. What do you think? I'll just throw out some more ideas. How about if you could say, help pay for career training for somebody who's trying to expand their horizons and they're in your spiritual community. How about if you contributed to a down payment of a new house? for somebody who's in your spiritual community. We were part of a community of faith that completely eliminated the credit card of a family, totaling about $25,000. Now, did our friends make some mistakes in creating that debt burden? Yes, but it was crushing them, and it felt like a bottomless pit to them. We walked them through repentance and then just shot their debt to kingdom come. It was terrific. How about if you replace that broken-down water heater for a church family? They would say thank you. They would love it. What if you blessed one of your mentors with a a go-on-a-vacation financial gift? What if you wrote a big check to your 501c3 religious organization? What if you gave a regular contribution for an out-of-work family or your extended family until they got on their feet? What if you invested in a church friend's new business? Put your money into your community of faith. Giving starts at home, right? Right? Well, this is your home. You got it? 
Now, I hear you saying, okay, that sounds just fine and good. Give to my community of faith. But where else can I contribute? I want to be so generous because giving is such a great responsibility. Is that all there is? Just a spiritual community and that's all? No way. There's so much more. Check in next time and I'll give you some more stuff. This is Stephen Manuel for Abraham's Wallet. Abraham's Wallet.